Oh, Holy that was... fuck, that was nice. No, don't look at it. It looks fucking ugly. No, it doesn't. Fucking aluminum. It has aluminum chipping, Dennis. What's wrong with that? It makes me want to puke. Well, that's your model, and that sucks. It does. Real. Okay. Well, on that note, you're listening to the Micro Machines podcast. Uh, it's me. I'm back. You haven't heard my voice for a few episodes. So, uh, sucks to suck. <laughs> eh. Callum. I believe Yo. this is your episode. This week we are discussing World War II Italian tanks. Yep. I decided, uh, well, I bought an Italian tank model, uh, so I figured I'd just uh, speak about them. But before we jump into them, because the, the Italian tanks are actually quite um, interesting, and a lot of them don't deserve the reputation that they have. But in uh, before I get into that, we'll do some introductions. So, as usual, we've got me, Callum, from New Zealand, and I'm drinking the strongest coffee I've ever had in my house. And my heart rate's probably sitting at about 200 at the moment. All right, well, you got me, Dennis, from Canada, and I'm also drinking a coffee right now, but it's not black. I did put a bit of milk in it. You've got me, Garrison, in Kansas, also drinking a coffee, but... Uh... Mine is not black. It has a pumpkin spice in it because ladies oh, are just fucking new. It it's white fall. girl autism. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, your mom Basic likes the lot. Oh my god, Garrison, can we like go to Starbucks after this, please? Uh, yeah, you're about to have the best 30 seconds of your life, and then it's Starbucks time. Oh my god. Fucking go. What a 30 man. seconds. What are you doing it twice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 15 of that is undressing. <laughs> what about the pizza time? That's uh, not included. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I've decided I'm going to just go through a brief outline of all the tanks that Italy had. Um, which is not many. That's why I can go through basically all of them. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do though is I'm. I'm gonna omit the tankettes that the Italians use because I want to do an entire episode on tankettes at a later point because they're quite interesting in them themselves. So first up, we are going to start with the Fiat 3000. Uh, take it you guys are looking at the uh, slide <laughs> for that. Yeah. No, Dennis, that's an FT17. That's an FT17, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yes, yeah, so the uh, after the First World War, the uh, Italians bought a whole bunch, uh, quite a few FT-17s, and then started making their own. Of course, they did. So the Fiat 3000 is basically an FT-17, but built by the Italians and uh, changed. It's worse. It is significantly worse. It seems. Look at its ugly ass head. So the initial order for these were for for 1,400 of these uh, Fiat 3000s, and they were placed in May 1919. The conclusion of the war led to a cancellation of the original order, resulting in only 100 units being ultimately delivered. It wasn't until 1921 that the first Fiat 3000 tanks were put into service. 
officially designated as the Caro de Assalto Fiat 3000 Mod 21, which translate to, translates to Fiat 3000 Assault Tank Model 21 in Italian. However, tests can we con- mod- I'm sorry, can we contact Fiat and ask if they can still make some of these? <laughs> Uh, however, tests of the Model 21 indicated as arm- armament, armament, oh, fuck, the coffee's getting to me. Armament comprising two 6.5mm machine guns was insufficient, prompting a recommendation to equip, equip it with a 37mm gun as its primary. So, in 1929, an upgraded version of the Fiat 3000, armed with a 37-40 uh, gun, underwent testing and was formally adopted in 1930 receiving the designation Cara de Assalto Fiat 3000 Mod 30. The Model 30 not only featured improved armament, but also incorporated several other modifications compared to the Model 21. These changes encompassed a more potent engine, enhanced suspension, a different engine compartment design, and a reconfigured method of storing external supplies. Notably, Italian engineers implemented a pioneering, pioneering design concept by orienting the engine sideways and slightly widening the hull, which made the tank's fighting compartment more spacious while simultaneously reducing its overall length and weight, a concept that continues to influence influence Russian designed, uh, tank design today. <laughs> Clearly it works. <laughs> Does it? Does it? Hey, it never said it was a compliment. Some Model 30 tanks were still produced with two 6.7mm machine guns as their main, akin to the Model 21 instead of the 37mm. A limited number of Model 21 vehicles were exported to countries such as Albania, Latvia, Hungary, and Abyssinia, uh, back then also known as Ethiopia today. With the onset of World War II approaching, the designations of these tanks underwent changes to align with the identification system adopted by the Italians for the duration of the war. Consequently, the Model 21 was redesignated as the L5-21, and the Model 30 became the L5-30. I will say, um, I think when it comes to something like tank names, designations, all that, the Italians had the best. Fiat 3000. Well, really? actually, they're, 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 that yeah, sounds gonna, like some dumb shit I'd make up at like five. We're going we're gonna to see it later on. Their designation was actually pretty damn good compared to everyone else. The British and the Americans were the worst. Uh, and followed by the Japanese. Fuck you, I love my M1s and M3s and M2s. The All M1, 2000 the M1 what? The, the M1 Garand, the M1 Carbine, <laughs> the M1 Helmet, the M1 Bayonet, the M3 Scout, the M3 Lee, the M3 Stuart, um... We all have flaws, okay? You don't have to point out all of my pros. This I don't know what's what we're here for. I mean, you still got the British who would say, let's say, let's focus on the Churchill. The Mark Seven Churchill is technically the A22 Infantry Tank Mark IV um, Churchill Mark Seven. That's shite. Yeah, Whereas I don't you... want to hear shit about Americans. I'm going to give you a shit about Americans. I'm going <laughs> to give you shit about Americans. I mean, yeah, so you I just need to look at the Easy Eight. You know that that the name, the the, the official name for the Easy Eight is like twenty words. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's <laughs> I'll give you. That, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. <laughs> it's like you. It's like the whole name describes what's in the tank. It's like we don't need that. <laughs> but you okay. gotta be special. Okay, so the Fiat Three Thousand Model Twenty One entered combat for the first time in February nineteen twenty six during operations in Libya. It was subsequently deployed in the Second Italo Abyssinian. War. That is such a cool name for a war. Italo-Abyssinian. 
against Ethiopian forces in 1935. Notably, (laughs) this tank was not utilized by the Italians in the (laughs) Spanish Civil War. When Italy entered World War II in June 1940, a limited number of 3,000 were still in service with the Italian army and were put into action in the Greek-Albanian front. These tanks you know, were... Yeah. You know it's crazy? The what? Italians entered before the Americans did. That's wild. I know, and everyone says Italians are lazy. Right. <laughs> so these tanks also played a role as some of the final Italian tanks to face off against the Allies. In June 1943, when the Allies launched their invasion in, of Sicily, two Italian ca- tank companies stationed on the island were still equipped with the Fiat 3000. One of these companies took up a defensive position using their tanks as stationary fortifications. Meanwhile, the other company was deployed in a mobile capacity to respond to the Allied amphibious landing, particularly during the Battle of Gala. However, only a few of these tanks managed to survive the advancing Allied forces. No kidding! This They died gay! You imagine a Fiat 3000 against, like, a Sherman? <laughs> fair fight, it's a fair fight. Ugh. It's hard to believe that this was designed and this is based off like the fucking FT-17 and they're still using it in 1943. I mean... If, if that's all you got, that's all you got, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, make it work, like, yeah, so if you want to make a Fiat 3000, there's not a lot. Uh, I'm going to change up the uh, way we do the, these slides. Instead of having all the models at the end, I'm going to put it with the actual... Uh, Vehicles themselves. So, really cool, really f- aren't we? Yep. So, I could only really find one company that does the Fiat 3000. They do it in 35th. It is the. I can't remember the name of the uh, company. One God fucking monk, fucking bitch, fucking. I swear the stupid. I hate feathers so much. Why are you using feathers? To make palm leaves. Oh, right. Yeah. Garrison's ah. in this tropical phase. <laughs> HIDF, HIDF, HIDF. Okay, so the, we'll be under the desert soon. <laughs> rolling up the, the Suez Canal in my uh, in my World War Two destroyer. <laughs> okay, so the main company that seems to be doing the Fiat Three Thousand is uh, Toro Model, and the example you see here is a one series, one uh, A series. So this is with the twin six point five millimeter machine guns uh it's done in 35th scale i'm not sure i've never heard of toro before well i've come across them like online but i've never like you don't hear about them a lot dennis do you know anything about them toro i I feel like i've heard the name but honestly i couldn't comment on their quality or anything because i've never done anything regarding them it just it seems like just one of those small run companies where you just you you come across the name a lot but you don't look into it beyond that probably going to be rubber tracks i'd imagine Mm, uh, did I see a? I think I saw watch them be these one. like beautifully like one piece resin printed tracks that just go together. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah, Garrison, look at that box art, and you really want to say that? That's <laughs> <laughs> really? Are we, are we going there, buddy? Are we going there? Hey, hey, I'm just I'm just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? Because they're recreating oh, the no, F- those. Uh, and no, that's I don't. I'm not. They don't. Yeah, Dennis. It's not rubber look band at, tracks. It's all one piece. <laughs> they don't actually look rubber band. You don't no. look like a rubber band. Aww. Mm-hmm. I'll kiss you too. Not you, Dennis. You do look like a rubber band. 
Oh. So there's a, there's also a high chance you could probably find a conversion kit for a uh, FT17 into a Fiat 3000. But yeah. Uh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> the resin conversion kits of the FT. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we uh, move on before Dennis starts having flashbacks? Oh god. Yeah. Oh what the hell? Okay. What kind of war What the hell? <laughs> this is the most Imperial Guard looking tank I've ever seen. <laughs> No, not that Imperial Guard, dude. Yes, we're going with that Imperial Guard, not your stupid ass forty Warhammer crap. Suck it. Yeah, anyway. cry about it. <laughs> so up next after the F the uh, Fiat three thousand, we have the Fiat two thousand, which is a very big departure from the uh, design of the light tank. As hey yo, go back, here. go back. What do you mean? This thing is awesome. Look Wrong at, direction. Look at Look how big it is! It's like it's the, a, it, no Callum, no. It's the drive it's, sprocket, like compared to a human being. <laughs> it's fucking gigantic. <laughs> okay, uh, so this is the Fiat Two Thousand. So during World War One, Italy did not have any armored units in its military arsenal due to a shortage of tanks. No kidding. The only viable solution at that time was to initiate the development and production of early new tank designs. In 1916, the Fiat Automobile Company accepted the task of designing and manufacturing Italy's first tanks. A prototype of this novel tank was presented to the, a military commission on June 21, 1917. While its mechanical sections were fully functional, the tank's superstructure was a work in progress. The prototype initially featured a wooden mock-up with an open conical turret and a dummy gun. It wasn't until 1918 that the final configuration of the superstructure was eventually completed. The Fiat 2000, weighing 40 tons, was similar in size to the was similar in size to the British Mark V tanks of 28 tons. Yeah, right. The driver had good visibility with a large front port and small side openings. Unlike contemporary tanks, its layout separated the engine compartment below the, the crew compartment. It featured a 240 horsepower water-cooled engine with six cylinders driving the tracks through a transverse transmission, offering a range of 75 kilometers on paved roads. The armor, made of riveted steel plates, was 15 millimeters on the sides and 20 millimeters on the front. Initially armed with a turret-mounted machine gun and 10 machine guns, a later modification and added a ventilator in the roof and repositioned the machine guns for better defense. A unique feature with, was its rotating turret. One of the first tanks in the world. One of the first tanks allowing for a 65-17 howitzer with a 65mm caliber and minus 10 degrees and plus 75 degrees uh, for elevation. That's pretty good. That, that, that is tank. pretty decent. Like minus 10 plus 75, that you, you, that's like a, a, an SPG at that point. Basically. So, often referred to... For, Often referred to as the heaviest World War I tank, the Fiat 2000 never actually saw combat during the war. A modest, I know. A modest order for 50 tanks was never fulfilled, resulting in only two prototypes being produced. While technically heavy in design, the German K-Wagon also failed to produce prototypes before the end of World War I. Following the war, the Fiat 2000 <coughs> was showcased as part of the arsenal used in defeating the enemy. That's like what the fuck? That's the equivalent of the Soviets uh, using the IS-3 in their um, victory Berlin parade. March, yeah. yeah. The two completed prototypes were dispatched to Libya to compact guerrilla forces al alongside other tanks acquired from France, forming a special unit known as the Tank Battery. 
in Libya, the Fiat tank demonstrated an average speed of four kilometers an hour. After two months, its operational career ended as it couldn't match the rapid mobility of the enemy. One tank remained in Tripoli, while the other returned to Italy in the spring of 1919, where it performed impressive demonstrations before the king at Rome Stadium. It scaled a 1.1-meter wall, demolished a 3.5-meter wall, crossed a 3-meter wide trench, and felled several trees. Despite these feats, the heavy tank failed to rekindle interest and was eventually abandoned. Hell yeah, fuck them trees. The surviving Fiat 2000 in Rome spent several years in storage until Colonel Mattis, is it Maltese? Colonel Maltese, we'll say that, ordered its transfer to Fort Tiburtino, almost encountering a fire during transportation. In 1934, it resurfaced at a camp at a Campo Ducks parade, having been repainted and rearmed with two 37-40mm guns. In, in place of its front machine guns. Subsequently, it re- reportedly underwent transformation into a monument in Bologna, and was subsequent. And its subsequent fate remains unknown. So, it's if probably you want, in somebody's backyard in the middle of the Alps. Probably. Can you imagine this thing had a fucking howitzer on the top, plus eventually two thirty-seven millimeter guns in the front and machine guns. This thing's a beast. If you want to build one of these giant uh, tanks. There is one, there's only one model that you can go to, and it is a good model company you could go to. It is Vargas Scale Models with his resin oh, printed. Oh, hell yeah. He does a Fiat 2000 and it retails for about, I think it's about, I want to say 60 bucks. It's one yeah, of the more, no thanks. It's one of the pricier ones just because it's um, quite large, but yeah, if you if you want a decent kit, um, Vargas Scale Models, they, he does some really cool stuff, so I'm not surprised he does this one, but. I want yeah. to do his, uh, was it the Matilda he made? Matilda 1. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want his Matilda. Matilda 1 is a, is a lot. Like, I could happily build any one of his. It's just so cool. Vargas Baby, come on the pod. Talk to us. <laughs> Chat okay, soon. if we go to the next slide, we started getting yeah, into the more... sexual harassment charge. That's a nice long barrel. Oh! <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> Did we I think lose? I thought that was funny. <laughs> I think we lost him. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> I fucking choked on my coffee. <laughs> uh. live, live on air, Garrison dying. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, my esophagus fucking hurts. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> God damn it, Dennis. <laughs> You're welcome. Aren't you glad I'm back? Uh, bro, I almost spit coffee on my fucking laptop in my palm tree. <laughs> Alright, fucking long barrel, send it. <clears throat> you good? We good to go? Yeah, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> okay, so up next we have the Kato Amato <clears throat> L640. Now this is where their uh, naming convention comes in. And basically what it is is so you have Caramato, which is Italian for tank. Uh, L stands for light. And you'll, you'll notice that's uh, L for light, M for medium. Uh, the In Italian, um, for heavy is P, not H, because that's their word. So you have the designation of the tank type, the six or the number after it, that's the weight. So L6 is light tank six ton. And then the 
last number, so 40, was that means it was uh, built in 1940. So light tank, 6 ton, 40, 1940 built. So the L640, a light tank utilized by the Italian army during World War II from 1940 onwards, has it had its origins as an export pr product designed by Ansaldo. However, upon learning of the design, Italian army officials expressed interest, leading to its adoption. This tank served as the primary armoured vehicle for Italian forces on the Eastern Front, often in, in conjunction with the L640-based Semavonte 4732 self-propelled gun, uh, which we'll be talking about in a bit, and it also saw action in the North African campaign. Officially designated as the Caramato, or armoured vehicle, tank, L640 by the Italians, this nomenclature conveyed its characteristics. L signifying Leggero, meaning light, followed by its weight in tons of six, and the year of adoption 1940, as I was saying before. It actually makes sense, so yeah, doing better than the British. It does make sense. The L640 represented a conventional light tank design constructed with rivets, positioned at the center a one-man turret housed a single Breda Modelo 35 um, 20 millimeter main gun and a Breda 38 8 millimeter coaxial machine gun. The driver occupied the front of the hull. The armor also riveted, ranged from 6 to 40 millimeters in thickness, roughly aligning lining with the armor of existing Allied light tanks. It's kind. This, this is like the Italian. This is the Italian M3. It's, it kind of looks it as well. Yeah. Like from a distance, from a distance, you'd be looking, going, "Is this?" Is this the Italian or is this like the, the uh, a Stuart? I like it, honestly. Like, it's a cute little design. Looks like it'd be great. A little fast vehicle. Mm. Good for urban combat. Yeah. So, originating as an advancement of the L335 light tank, the L6 underwent several prototype iterations in the late 1930s. The initial version featured a 37 main gun mounted in a Sponson and a... Uh, da -da -da and a turret armed with a machine gun. Later, a variant emerged with a turret-mounted 37mm gun, while another version boasted eight twin 8mm machine guns. Ultimately, the production-ready configuration known as the Kara Amato L640 entered production in 1939, resulting in, a, resulting in a total production of 419 units. Italian L640 light tanks saw action in various theaters of war, including the Balkans campaign, the conflict against the Soviet Union, the later stages of the North African campaign, and the defense of both Sicily and Italy. On the Eastern Front, the L640 played a central role as the primary tank used by Italian forces. It often operated alongside the Savonte, uh, Semavonte 4732. While the L640 represented an improvement over the prevalent Italian tankettes and was a commendable light tank for its size, it had already become outdated by the time it was introduced its relatively low profile, just slightly taller than an average person, made it valuable for reconnaissance missions, and its armament provided effect was proved effective against lighter vehicles. However, due to the absence of a suitable medium tank, it was sometimes deployed in combat roles, which was ill-suited. Ill Furthermore, the German army also employed the L640. In 1943, 26 Italian L6 tanks were captured and put to use by the independent state of Croatia. Following the war, the um, Polizia di Stato, I think that's just the state police, continued to use the L640 until it was phased out in the early 1950s. Now, if you want to build an L640, well, you can go with Italieri um, if you really hate yourself. 
however, Tamiya, this is one of those things, you know, um, what's it? What's the deal with um, Itulari and Tamiya, Dennis? They have, a like, bit of a, they have a bit of a partnership where basically Itulari will provide the sprues of the tank itself. And then Tamiya will usually add stuff like stowage or a couple of figures, and then they'll make their new instructions. Hmm. So this, that's what we got here, the L640. Um, it's actually not that deal. I mean, like, the Italieri aren't that bad. It, it, it's honestly, a, I, I've seen this kit before, it's perfectly reasonable. Like, the figures are really good too, so it, I think you can't get the best of both worlds, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's not, uh, is it priced stupidly, or is it not too bad? It's not too bad. I think it's in the roughly, like, 40-ish, $45 range. That's not bad at all. It's not terrible. I mean, you do get photo etch there, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a limited edition one, so... Waz enters the chat. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to build one, the um, Italieri Tamiya L640. It's a good kit, and one thing I will say, Italian uh, camo schemes look pretty damn good. And yeah. uh, this one, the, the desert with the green, I don't know why, it just works. Goes hard. Yeah. If we go to the next slide, I like the the, uh, the whole mounted gun here. This is very this is very smart. I like I like I honestly really like the design of this tank. It might not be a good tank, but it looks cool. There's just something about it. So this is the uh, M11-39, which is basically it's like the Italian version of the M3 Lee, but smaller. It's like a light tank version of the M3 Lee, even though this is a medium tank. The Italian tank, the Italian medium tank, known as the Caro Amato M1139, was initially manufactured before the outbreak of World War II. It went on to serve in both Africa and Italy from 1939 to 1944. The official Italian designation for this tank was Caro Am- um Yeah, we know that, but I won't, won't say that one again. But, you know, medium tank, 11 tons, 1939. The M1139 was as originally conceived as a breakthrough tank, with design inspiration drawn from the British Vickers six-ton tank, particularly evident in its track and suspension design. One unique feature was the placement of the final reduction gears inside the front-mounted drive sprockets, releasing, eliminating the need for larger final drive housings on the front armour. However, the M1139 had a brief service life due to several design flaws including the placement of its primary 37mm gun in the hull. That's only a 37. I would have figured that's at least like a 45. Nah, the 45s didn't come in. Uh, they didn't use 45s, they had 47s, but they, they turn up later. So the, orig- the original concept aimed to use the main gun against enemy tanks while re- relying on turret-mounted armament for defense. However, the main gun was fixed with limited travis of only 15 degrees on either side. The tank featured dual 8mm machine guns and a small, manually operated one-man turret. The initial plan was to position the 37mm L40 armament in the turret, but space constraints prevented this. Instead, the design followed the pattern of French Char V1 tanks and anticipated early versions of the Churchill tanks, where the, gun, where the hull guns were howitzers rather than high-velocity guns. The M1139 suffered from other drawbacks, including poor endurance, limited speed, mechanical unreliability, and vulnerability to British two-pounder guns at ranges where its main gun could be effective. Despite, despite being designed to carry a radio, production vehicles were not equipped with one. The M1139 
39's hull was later modified for use in its successor, the Fiat M1340, which had a main gun in the turret. As a temporary measure, an order of 100 M11s were placed. So this is a really cool looking tank. I'll give it that. Like style points, it's up there. I don't know why. It's just, it looks cool. And if you want to build one. It reminds me a lot of Japanese armor, like the Type 97. It is. It, I think they share designs by the looks of it. You know, you, you look at it. It really, very, it looks similar. a lot like it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like if you got the family together and like your distant cousin came over, that's your distant cousin and you're the Type 97. Like yeah, you're, just... you're sitting there going, we're related somehow. Mom, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to buy one of these, uh, if you want to make one, it uh, seems like a, a uh, company, Corazetti, makes these in 135th. These are resin kit. Resin, uh, yeah, they're resin kits, so don't know if how good they are i mean i've seen a few of these built up and they look all right so but of course interesting there are a lot of marking uh for these ones of course you got uh the uh classic sort of uh, desert green and uh camo but also the aussies captured a lot of uh, italian tanks and their signature was to put giant white kangaroos on front, back, and sides of uh, all oh the captured tanks to really make sure that the Americans didn't shoot them. Um, um, and they probably have a picture of these. Pardon? First off, yeah, we shot at them because fuck it, why not? Second off, um, <laughs> do you have a picture of that? Because that'd be fucking dope. Hey, Dennis, tell me he's not looking at the slides without telling me he's not looking at the slides. I don't see a kangaroo, slides. dude. Uh, okay, to be. To be fair, I'm like five feet away from the computer. I'm looking at it, and I top left, on. the top left one. You can see the giant white kangaroo. Okay, uh, uh, at, at like five feet away, I couldn't see him. Didn't have my glasses on. Okay, sorry. Do you have glasses, dude? How have you not known this? What? Dude, there's no fucking way you haven't. You knew hey. I had glasses, Callum, right? Yeah, I've seen you wear them. What? Hang on, you fucking goofball. There's no way. What See, Garrison, though, with that, with, that ice, with that eyesight and recognition, you could be an American tanker. <laughs> <laughs> if my fucking knees weren't so bad, I could. Alright, let me send this picture to Dennis. How do you not know he doesn't wear glasses? I, I've never seen him wear glasses. I swear. There's no way. See, he looks weird to me when he doesn't wear his glasses anymore. What? You guys are capaholics. Yeah. No, um, hang on. Fucking send this picture. <laughs> um, that's a work in progress picture. <laughs> what? Look at podcast planning. I'm having an aneurysm. Yes, you do wear glasses. What am I talking about? I'm actually having a <laughs> stroke, Garrison. Bro, I'm what? about to say, bro, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what? I, I, I'm suited. Cal, I literally... Wow. Okay. A lot of my time in the Marine Corps, like when I'm in the field where a lot of my pictures were taken, I didn't wear glasses. So maybe that's why. But I have a lot of pictures on my Instagram of me wearing glasses. Wow. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> How? I, I guess I've always pictured you without them, even though I see you with them. Maybe. Anyways, you, you missed the kangaroos, so you would make an amazing A-10 pilot. 
<laughs> Plane go brrr. <laughs> the highway of death, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's fucked up. American war crimes that no one paid for. It's fucked uh, up. Okay. But we'll, move on. we'll move on to the next one. So up next, uh, we start Ooh. seeing a more contemporary tank design. So this is the M1340. So this was the intended to replace the M1139 within the army. Uh, it served as the primary tank throughout the war and, of course, had the uh, influence of the Vickers, the British Vickers 6-ton. It, like, it's got the same sort of uh, style to it. It was constructed using riveted steel plates with the armor distribution as follows. 30 millimeters on the front, 42 on the turret front, 25 on the sides, which is a notable improvement over the M11 with only 15 millimeters. Six, six millimeters on the bottom, which means if it went over even something like a bloody infantry, an anti-infantry mine, it was going to go up. And 15 millimeters on the top. The crew consisting of four members occupied a forward fighting compartment. Um, so, the tank utilized a running gear derived from Vickers, featuring two bogey trucks with eight pairs of small wheels on each side and employing leaf spring suspension. The tracks were conventional skeleton steel plate links and relatively narrow, producing a de design, designed to pro provide mobility in mountainous terrain, although it, provo provo oh, fuck me. although it proved less effective in the desert where the M13s were deployed. The tank was powered by a 125 horsepower diesel engine, which was an innovative choice, offering cost of efficiency, extended range, and reduced fire risk compared to petrol engines a feature not yet adopted by many countries at the time. Primary armament was the 47mm gun, adapted from the successful Canon da, um, no, Canon DA-47-32M35 anti-tank gun and mounted on the tank. This gun could penetrate approximately 45mm of armour, or 1.8 inches, at a distance of 500 metres, or 550 yards effectively dealing with British light tanks and cruiser tanks but falling short against heavier infantry tanks. The M13 carried 104 rounds of mixed ammo, including armor-piercing and high explosive. Additionally, the tank was equipped with three or four machine guns, one coaxial in the main gun, and two mounted in a front ball mount. In some cases, a fourth machine gun was affixed to the turret roof for anti-aircraft purposes. The tank featured two periscopes, one for the gunner, one for the commander, and was equipped with a Magneti Morelli if RF-1CA radio as standard equipment. So we're finally starting to get into more contemporary tank design for the uh, Italians. I will say, the 47mm guns that the Italians had for uh, the time of, you know, these low-caliber guns was actually ranked second in effectiveness. It was better than the German 37, not quite as good as the British 2-pounder, if the two pound, um, if the two pounder was using the British AP, uh, APCR rounds, the uh, just but but their their guns, their anti tank guns were quite capable. So you're starting to, the the Italian tanks are starting to get a bit more formidable. Uh, there are still a lot of flaws, um, mainly in steel, mainly in the armor, and it's not because of armor thickness, but because because um, because it. Italy at the time was, you know, less population, less resources, all of that, especially after the First World War, their production was lacking. 
So trying to get um, decent industry going and stuff like that. So they didn't have the best at steel refinement and stuff like that. So a lot of their steel ended up with high concentrations of sulfur. Uh Uh-oh. So Dennis knows where this is going. eh? Oh, no. I know enough metallurgy to know how this is going to go. So the Italian steel ended up being very, very brittle. And if it was, uh, there's photos of, of penetrations, like when, when an Italian tank gets hit and the entire armor plate just cracks. Oh, I mean, I'll see, I'll see if I can, I'll need to find one. I'll see if I can do it real quickly, but yeah, their, their, their armor was incredibly fragile and brittle and, um, yeah, it was, they get hit and they just crack all over the place it wasn't that good their guns were good but mm. yeah I'll, I'll need to find one and I'll, I'll send the photo to um to you guys and i'll post i'll post it on the episode when i edit it but it's pretty um impressive now if you want to build build an m1340 well we have a tamiya one and i this isn't a um I think this is one of their own ones. This isn't an, an, an uh, artillery um, combination, is it, Dennis? Um, I, I don't, don't think know. It is. I think Tamiya may have done a new tool on this. And the only reason why I say this is because I think some parts of us got used for their uh, Semavante. I mm. could be wrong. Yeah, Because it, there's this weird overlap where usually they will say if on the box if it's an artillery collaboration. And I can't make it out here. Assume it's Atari, because there's no way that Tamiya would just have an, an aluminum gun barrel and photo watch parts if it wasn't an Atari collab and they were trying to spice it up. Yeah. How much do you think it runs for? 50 bucks. Yeah. One must imagine this kit to be an Atari tragedy. You'd, you'd think it is. Yeah. I really want to get one of these, though, just so I could make an, make an Australian captured. I just want to paint giant. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah. I think it'd be cool to do one with like the broken plate like you're talking about. I was actually thinking of thinking that because that wouldn't actually be too difficult to model. You just need to do like just basically you're just basically rescribe like using a rescribing tool or something like that. And you just like really dig into it. And then if you just highlight it, uh, you know, pin wash it heavily, you'll probably get that effect of a cracked plate. Should be awesome. Mm. Either that, or you just cut it up and then just put it back together, but wrong. That might do the trick. It'll be interesting. I wouldn't mind trying that. I want to try that. And these were used in North Africa, so I mean, yep, it'd be pretty dope to do like a like it sitting in like a behind a berm, knocked out, and with a couple of troops like walking next to it. That was probably the main theme of that tank during the war. <laughs> hey, keep it historically accurate. <laughs> Just in its natural place. <laughs> okay, so we'll go on to the uh, next iteration of this, and that is the M1441. Now, there's not a lot to say about this one. Um, it's basically the M1340, but just with some tweaks to it. So we're gonna we'll go over that. Um, so the the M1441 re- uh, represented a modest upgrade over the prior M1340, featuring a more potent diesel engine despite its production it was deemed outdated upon introduction utilizing the same chassis as the 1340 
The M1441 boasted an improved hull design with an enhanced armour. Production of the M1441 occurred during 1941 to 1942, resulting in the manufacture of nearly 800 user, units by the conclusion Holy of the production. Holy shit. That's actually pretty fast. 800 wow. tanks. Today. 800 yeah. for not only the, just Italy alone, but with everything else they needed steel for, they got 800 of these a year. That's fucking good. Yeah. Hey, good for them, you fucking yeah. Italians. <laughs> the Italians working hard. <laughs> Italians. <laughs> them damn. Uh, so the M1441 saw its initial deployment during the North Africa campaign. Of course it did. It gained a reputation for bo- for being both unreliable and cramped. It was prone to catching fire when struck. <laughs> the T-72's forebearer. Ah! Uh- <laughs> <laughs> After the Italian forces retreated from North Africa, encounters with the 1441 became infrequent. However, many captured 1441 <laughs> tanks were utilized by both British and Australian forces to address the sheer severe shortage of Allied tanks. These captured vehicles, though pressed into Allied service, had short, short-lived tenure before being replaced. So even the Allies didn't want them. <laughs> uh I will say the the bottom left one, that one's the one in Bovington. I've seen that one in, in real life. It's pretty neat. The How camo, tall is that thing compared to you? Uh, about 1.1 Columbi. It's not nice. too big. Not the biggest, but I really want to replicate. I really want to, uh, on my Simavonte, I really want to replicate that sort of um, blended armor, uh, camo. It looks really cool. It it seems like a bit of a challenge to try and do, but it would look if you do it, it looks cool. And of course, if you want to build your own, um, yeah, you you just have Italieri. Does come with four figures. Don't know if you'd want it though. I hate that you guys are getting me more interested in the African campaign because uh, this is getting pretty interesting. interesting. Ooh, I see resin. Maybe that's not resin. <laughs> it looks resin. I see metal barrel. Ah, this one. Okay, up next we have basically the big brother to uh, to the last two tanks. We have the M1542. Of course, M15 being um, medium, 15 tons, made in 1942. So this was the final medium tank manufactured by Italy during the Second World War. They had a lot. Of, they had a, there were a few later on that are just prototypes, but this was like the ma- the last main one they made. Drew inspiration from earlier M1340 and 1441 medium tanks, incorporating lessons learned from North African campaign. This tank was designed to act as a temporary solution until larger numbers of the heavier P2640 heavy tank could be produced. Um, interestingly, the 1542 did not see much, did not see service in North Africa, the theatre for which it was originally intended, but it instead operated in Italy and Yugoslavia alongside the German Wehrmacht. Oh, Yugoslavia one would be awesome. Yeah. Feel like stuck in a bog. Yeah. Recognizing the shortcomings of their 1340 and 1441 medium tanks, the Italian army sought out interim solution until the heavier P2640 was ready. So the M1340 and 1441, while comparable to many of their early British and Allied counterparts, exhibited significant deficiencies that rendered them ill-suited for desert warfare in North Africa. Tell me, was there a single fucking tank that was made for that was put in North Africa that was suited for North Africa. I don't think there was a single one. No. Uh, I, I, I mean, th- think, think about it. Think about it. When you're making military equipment to go fight, do you think of, oh, yeah, we'll be fighting in the desert over absolutely nothing? 
<laughs> no, no, you <laughs> don't. Fifty degree hit, wheat, uh, heat, and all of that. No, but you find yourself there. Apparently, fucking politicians. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure, like you know, when they say, "Oh, this tank was ill suited for the desert," and this one was, they all are tanks and desert do not mix. <laughs> tanks, I mean tanks. Uh, desert and anything just don't fucking mix, bro. I don't yeah. like sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. <laughs> okay, Anakin. <laughs> uh, so, furthermore, their armament, armament, although though adequate against most medium tanks, proved, proved ineffective against the heavily armored British tanks in North Africa at the time. <laughs> Get fucked. Well, Matilda too. Fucking... The Germans didn't have the 88, man. If they didn't have the 88, they would have been rolled. Yeah, but they did. So in early 1941, Italy attempted to develop the M1643 Saharan fast medium tank, inspired by the design of a captured British A-15 Crusader tank. Although the prototype performed well in tests, the project was abandoned in 1943, as Italy had lost its North African territories and no longer required a fast desert tank. During the M1643's development, the Germans offered license produce, offered to license produce their Panzer III and Panzer IV medium tanks, provided they supplied half the required resources and all the tanks, guns, and sights. Italy declined the op- offer, opting instead for an enhanced version of their M1441. This upgraded tank, 12 centimeters longer than the original 1441, featured a new gun initially intended for the M1643, a gasoline engine. Uh, this was chosen chosen due to uh, diesel fuel shortage in Italy at the time, and a new transmission. Officially named the Caro Amato M1542, it incorporated lessons learned from basically everything. Uh, However, delays in developing the tank's main gun and ammo meant it couldn't enter production until January 1st, 1943, rendering it outdated by then. The primary armament featured an upgraded 47mm L 32 main gun, known as the 47L40, mounted on a fully rotating electrically, electrically driven turret with an elevation of 20 degrees and a depression of 10 degrees. Oh, this, nice. It's actually not, for that kind of thing, it's not bad. You know, the, the, the Italians got some things right. Uh, this primary, uh, what, da, 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 this gun could fire hollow charge, high explosive, and armor piercing rounds. Additionally, the tank was equipped with five Breda 38 machine guns, two in the hull, two in a coaxial mount, and one in, one on the top of the tank for an aircraft mount. That's pretty good. I, I, I'd use it in War Thunder. It's not a bad-looking tank as well. I'll give it that. It's actually quite a good-looking tank. Oh, I mean, tank. to be fair, they took, you know, references from the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> no? Nothing? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll go fuck myself. Do it. So you do that all day. Watch. No, I got a, I got a person for that. It's supposed to be an Abraham Lincoln joke from Family Guy. No, nothing. Uh, boy, that walks up to the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's good though. <laughs> I like that. I used to have a guy for that. Dick. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if, if you want to build one of these in 35th, um, so that one up top left, that is from Brack. Is it Brack model? Yeah. So that's actually a quite a good looking um, kit there. I mean, it's got a metal, metal barrel. That's 
you know, what more do you need? It does look like a nice little kit. So, up next, we start getting mm, into the... Panther. Uh... <laughs> That's literally what I was thinking. Like, a Sharby 1 had had sex with, like, a Panther 2. And <laughs> voila! So, what we're looking at is the Kara Amato P2640. So, this is uh, Italy's first, uh, their attempt at a heavy tank. It's kind of a sort of in, but it's a weird mix of heavy, medium. But they call they called it heavy. <laughs> so the P twenty six forty was a heavy medium tank uh, armed with a seventy five millimeter gun and eight millimeter braiders, and of course it had uh, aircraft anti aircraft mounts and stuff like that. So only a few of these were uh, constructed at the time before Italy signed the uh, armistice and switched sides. So basically every P forty you see. It's got German markings because the Germans took them whilst they were treated. So in 1940, development work commenced on the P-26 tank, driven by Benito Mussolini's specific orders. Initially, the requirements called for a 20-ton tank, uh, the maximum load allowable for pontoon bridges, armed with a 47-millimeter gun, 47 gun, three machine guns, and a crew of five. However, this was quickly replaced by a 25-ton design, which to be was to be named the P-26. Development progressed rapidly, except for the engine selection. The Italian military, the Stato Maggiore, preferred a diesel engine, while the manufacturer favoured a petrol engine. Unfortunately, in Italy, neither, pe- neither petrol nor engine... Pet- uh, fuck. Unfortunately, in Italy, neither diesel nor petrol engines capable of gener- generating the required 300 horsepower were available at the time. Unlike US and British tank manufacturers, who... Readily, who used readily available aircraft engines for their tanks, the Italian tank industry, dominated by Fiat and Soldo, did not adopt this approach. The process of designing the new engine was sluggish, and eventually a 420-horsepower petrol engine, the Fiat 262, was tested, although it was ultimately not chosen. Initially referred to as the P-75, indicating the gun's caliber, the first design, with a prototype ready by mid-1941, resembled an enlarged M1340 tank armed with a 75-18 howitzer, similar to the one on the Semavonte 7518, and featuring increased armor. This prototype underwent modifications, replacing the main gun with a 75-32 gun, accompanied by a coaxial machine gun. In 1941, after discovering Soviet T-34 tanks, influenced by a captured tank supplied by the Germans, the design underwent significant changes. The armor was swiftly increased with more slope plates reaching 50 millimeters on the front and 40 on the sides. The new 75-34 gun was adopted and dual barbet mounted and the hull was removed. The 75-34 design indicated a 75 millimeter bore diameter gun with a length equal to 34 calibers. However, the weight increase reaching 26 tons and the challenge of finding a suitable engine further delayed mass production. Ultimately, it was decided, decided that the prototype and early production models would be equipped with a 330-horsepower SPA-8V uh, V8 diesel engine, later replaced by a 420-horsepower petrol. Before the Italian armistice in September 1943, only a few pre-production models, uh, between 1 and 5, depending on the source, were completed. These tanks were subsequently <coughs> taken over by the German Wehrmacht, and some were used in combat under the German designation of Panzerkampfwagen P40737I for Italy, Inclu- um, 
including at oh, never mind. Others lacking engines were employed as stationary strong points. So again, if you want to make one of these, uh, just turn to Tamiya Italieri. They produce one. It has German markings and a very, very cool camouflage. That Just reminds me a really lot cool. of the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the late 44, early 45 uh, German tricolor. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know that, that. You can definitely see the T-34. Uh, oh, yeah, like especially that driver's hatch alone. Like, I saw that and I was like, ooh. I yeah, if this was like, influenced. you got you got the sloping. You got even where the turret is placed in the design of the turret. It's yeah, it, it is definitely the Italian T thirty four, like, and it looks cool. It's it's a great looking tank. I think it, yeah, that is really cool. Okay, so we're gonna get into a couple of the experimental tanks before we look at um, EMP other variants. Wait, no, no, that's Pardon? Crusader. <laughs> so up next we have the Caro Amato M Soleri. Sarahino, the Fiat M1643, the uh, Saharan uh, cruiser tank that we were talking about earlier. And you, you can definitely see Crusader elements within it. Yeah. So this was known as the Fiat M1643, was a prototype medium tank developed by Italy. Its purpose was to match the speed and firepower of contemporary British cruiser tanks encountered. Um, the project was cancelled after Axis forces were expelled from North Africa. If it had entered service, the tank would have likely been designated as M1643. In early 1941, the Italian army uh, tasked Fiat and, and Saldo with creating a low-profile tank, low profile tank weighing 15 to 16 metric tons to counter the swift A13 series uh, of tanks typefied um, type by the Crusader tank. Fiat, um, Fiat initiata- initiated the project in June 1941, starting with a wooden mock-up on an M1441 medium tank chassis. They angled the tank's armor plates to form a glacis. Unlike welded con- counterparts from other nations, the tank's armor remained bolted and generally thinner, in line with other Italian tanks of the era. Various engines, including aircraft engines uh, powered by petrol, were tested on the chassis before the development of the Sarahino tank was halted. At the time of cancellation, a 275 horsepower gasoline engine was under assessment. The Sarahino featured an elongated M1441 turret housing and a 47mm 47-40L40 gun, which was also intended for use in the M1542 medium. Plans included fitting a 75mm gun on the production model. Um, notably, the Sarahino Sarino, whatever, was the first Italian tank to incorporate a, tw- a torsion bar sus- suspension system, a more robust and faster suspension suspension system compared to the leaf spring bogies. And Saldo adopted the Sarino's suspension system from British tanks encountered in North Africa and a captured Soviet BT-5 from the Spanish Civil War. By the project's cancellation, the design closely resembled British counterparts but had a notably lower profile, enhancing concealment and making it a more challenging target to hit. Several factors contributed to the project's termination, the simultaneous development of the Caro Amato P40 heavy tank, the strain of introducing a new tank amid an already weakened Italian industrial base, 
the potential for license, license production of foreign tanks like the Czechoslovakian T-21 medium tank, and most of it, significantly, Italy's loss of its Libya colony, rendering the need for a fast tank obsolete. Unfortunately, if you want to build one of these, I can't find one. I can't find a model kit for this that's, anywhere. That's kind of a shame, because it looks pretty fucking dope. Yeah. Like, it, it looks like an M21, but like longer and wider. Yeah, it like it is like it is definitely looks crusader, but like way lower. That is, that is a low profile tank. It, it is cool. Yeah, uh, it's nice. I like it. What do you think, Dennis? I think that Callum, you've got a three D printer. Be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> I don't know how to three D design shit. That's okay. You you were able to make up <clears throat> rocket launcher. Uh, I'm sure this won't be any harder. <laughs> I've I've actually changed those designs a bit, and I've gone with something else someone else has um, designed. But it looks cool. I just yeah, I can't get it to print right at the moment. All right, what so the, we'll go on to what? This looks what? like a leopard, dude. It does like a leopard. <laughs> what the fuck? What? <laughs> so, f- for the last of the contemporary tank designs, was up next. We're just going to go through quickly the tank destroyers because they are cool as fuck, but. Before then, we have the P-43. Callum, I just want to say real quick. Yep. These aren't, this isn't a tank destroyer. This is a fucking Leopard 1 before puberty hit. Yeah, no, this is, um, this is the, uh, a heavy tank that they were designing, but never went anywhere. Oh, it went somewhere. It just, (laughs) you know, took till the 80s to get it. So the P-43, also known as the P-3043, was developed concurrently with the P-2640. It was intended to be a heavier version of the P-2640. The planned weight of the vehicle was 30 tons, and it was designed to be equipped with a 420 horsepower engine. The main gun was the same as the P-26, the 75-34mm. During the design phase, there were proposals to use the 90-42 gun, which was derived from the anti-aircraft Canon de 90-43, or the 105-25mm cannon found in the Semavante DA-10525. A photograph of a wooden model of the P-43, likely on a smaller scale, exists alongside other models of the P-40 and 43 BIS. The P-43 BIS was designed to weigh 30 tons and featured a cannon that appeared to be a lighter version of the 9053. In the same image, there is a model of a smaller German Panther variant equipped with what seems to be a 9053 cannon. The Germanic part labelled this as a copy of the Panther tank, which Italy had received blueprints for license production. This model was designated as a P-43 BIS, possibly because there were challenges on quickly transitioning to the production of the P-43 with a 90mm gun. This convergence of research could have been influenced by either by reports from the Russian front about the new Soviet medium tank T-3485, weighing 38, 32 tons and armed an 85mm cannon, derived from an anti-aircraft gun, and the availability of data and drawings of the German Panther. According to various sources, the proposed engines for this for these tanks were as followed. The P-2640 was a diesel engine with a three, th- 330 horsepower, later replaced with a 420 horsepower gasoline. The P-30-43, or 43 is what we're looking at now, was to be equipped with a 420 or 430 horsepower V-12. 
the BIS had the same engine and the P35-43 or second P33 P33 P43 BIS or the Panther derivative uh, was weighing 35 tons armed with a 1953 or 1942 millimeter gun and powered with a 470 or 480 horsepower engine copied from the Russian T-34 engine. Frontal protection of had <clears throat> the they had frontal protection of 80 to 100 millimeters of armor and was uh, intended to provide similar performance to tanks designed of other nations. For instance, it would match the Russian 1944 IS-2 and the Tiger One and surpass the Panther, which had 80 millimeters of armor. There is only... I've... Yep. Sorry, good. No, go. Sorry, you're done. Sorry. I was going to say, uh, if you want to build one of these, there is only one that I could find, and it is by Rubicon Models in one to fifty-six. Oh, but God. that's about it. What? That's that's bad. Rubicon Models, dude. Oh God. Have you tried a Rubicon? It's it's it, it's like the this, the detail of a one to one forty-four scale kit, but with the uh, size of a one to fifty-six scale. I guess that's the best way I can put it. Basic, then. Yes, just very basic, not well engineered. As basic as Garrison with a uh, pumpkin pumpkin spice latte. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is a cool looking tank, though. It does the look bottom, very it, cool. The bottom I love the players never like, don't. They always go for the rivets, you know. Good for the them. rivets. I, like I the think rivets. it looks nice. Like yeah, the rivets really do add tits. to it. Yeah. It looks almost Leopard 1. Yeah. It, it does look like a Leopard 1. I think that's why I like it. Like Leopard 1 with a bogey system. That, that's what it is. Alright, so we'll just go through the... Uh, how many have we got? 1, 2, 3, <laughs> 4, 5, 6, 7. We've got seven, 7 left. Uh, then we'll have a quick break. So we'll Calum, it's been the, uh, 2 hours, my guy. <laughs> How many one Italian hour. takes are there? It's just one hour. Oh yeah, actually, I lie. Yeah, and also there's only uh, so this is just uh, like tank destroyer derivatives, and there's not a lot to say about them, so it's fine. No, these are the interesting ones, dude. I know. So up first, we have the Semavonte DA forty-seven thirty-two. Okay, pop quiz. What's this one a derivative of? Ah, uh, I forgot the name the, of it. The bread it carrier, has, like two guns. No. It's a little Italian thingy. It has two fucking weapons on the front. God damn it! The knockoff it's, friend it's carrier. A, it's a it's a war thunder meme. <laughs> Wait, is <laughs> it the L thirty three? So this is based on the chassis of the L six. So the one oh. that looks like the uh, Stuart. <clears throat> Mainly, you can tell by the bogey system. Like, look at the look at the swing arms on those. Uh, those are. Uh, I like. They look very Art Deco. I like them. I know. It's, a, it's got the nice curves to it. So, this is the Semavonte L40 um, DA 47-32. Um, it featured a Canon DA 47-32 anti-tank gun mounted in an open-topped box-like structure placed on an L640 light tank. Some of these units were configured as command tanks equipped with a radio instead of the main tank. Uh, instead of the main gun, as you can see on the right there, there's a command one. 
To maintain the appearance of regular Semavonte 4732s, an 8mm machine gun was camouflaged as the 47mm main gun. Approximately oh, four. Nice. <laughs> so there's an 8mm in that, in that fucking gun housing. Approximately 400 Semavonte uh, 4732s were manufactured starting in uh, 1941. The Semavonte 4732 represented the most heavily armed Italian armored vehicle deployed on the Eastern Front. That's one thing a lot of people forget. Italians fought against the Soviets. That's yeah, I weird. Didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's weird to think about, but yeah, they, they were there. Um, while the 47mm gun was sufficient in combat from 1941, by the time the Semavonte saw action, it had become outdated and ineffective against medium tanks used by the enemy. Consequently, the vehicle did not achieve, achieve significant success. Following the Italian armistice of nine, in September 1943, the German army seized as many Semavonte 4732s as possible for their own use. These vehicles were designated as Stug L6 47-32630I by the Germans. Yeah, no. <laughs> Some were supplied to Germany's uh, Croatian puppet state and Slovene home guard you know what we should do send Ezra one of these and say hey we bought you a stug (laughs) (laughs) it is a cool looking tank uh tank destroyer though it is pretty neat looking like especially like you don't see it with like you can't really see the scale of it until you see the uh box art uh if you want to build one of these artillery make one of these in 35th and it just looks so cool with like that guy just looks so big inside it like, but it looks like, that thing looks tiny. It looks like you know you know those little cars that you can buy like toddlers to drive around in. It looks like yes. one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is just really cute. I like how small the gun is. It, it's yeah. nice. It's tidy. Yeah. It's a neat pew, looking pew, thing. Pew, pew. It's the kind of thing you would see in very low intensity conflicts. And I just like those. They're they're fun. Yeah, everyone comes yeah. out. They're they have a great fun. time. Fun for all involved. Yep. Yeah. It, lo- it looks like they would shake hands at the end of the battle. Exactly. It's the kind of thing that you would see in a gentlemanly conflict between Italy and Britain. Yeah, it would be like the run out of ammo and just just be like, right, same time tomorrow. <laughs> okay, we'll go to the next one. The Semavonte seventy five eighteen. So this one was made. Uh, so this one was made on uh, three the three medium. Um, chassis. The M- so we've got the uh, M1542, uh, 1340, and the 1441. So just like this covers all of all of those. So this self-propelled gun featured robust riveted steel plates with increased thickness compared to the original tank, uh, 50 millimeters versus 42. The frontal armor was nearly vertical, consisting of two plates that provided enhanced protection compared to a single homogeneous steel plate. So by that reasoning. There should be a gap in between them, so that's like anti-heat, technically. Yeah. 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 I mean, I doubt it will do much, but by you know, 50 millimeters, um, like the explosion from the heat round would probably deal with that. Uh, the vehicle's layout positioned the crew compartment and drive section forward with a, within a spacious and low-profile casemate. It's, that sounds like a uh, car advertisement. <laughs> the engine was located behind the crew, housed in a separate, slightly smaller structure with a slope design and inspection panels on the roof, a characteristic feature of Italian tank designs. 
The chassis mirrored that of the M1340 tanks, featuring eight small wheels grouped in four trolleys, connected to pairs of um, connected in pairs by two arms. So the primary arm, armament was a variant of the 75mm L18 gun, with an 18 caliber barrel offering a offering a 40 degree travis and an elevation range of minus 12 plus 22. Minus 12 degrees elevation, you get that thing hulled down, that's going to be a prick and a half. That's good. Like, yeah. I've seen, actually, there was a kind of a resin kit for doing it in 35th scale, and it was basically this, the, the roof of this with the gun, and it was buried in sand. So what you got was basically the, the groundwork, and then just out of nowhere, there's this little box popping up. Mm. It's actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah, mine, that's... The Italian tanks and whatnot, they just have these little things are like, fuck, that's really good. The rest of shit, but that one was good. Okay, equipped with a muzzle oh, brake, the gun... Oh, sorry, were you about to say something? No, no. Oh. okay. Equipped with a muzzle brake, the gun was... Complemented by various obs observation and aiming systems, such as binoculars and periscopes, to aid the crew. Due to its relatively low muzzle velocity of around 450 meters a second, the gun had its somewhat limited range, typically around 7 to 8 kilometers, especially when firing at higher elevations, like 45 degrees. In direct fire mode, the range was further constrained, particularly against moving targets due to its limited elevation angle of 22 degrees. For close defense, the vehicle usually featured a single roof mounted machine gun initially a 6.5 braider later upgraded to an 8 millimeter the standard ammo load included 44 rounds of 75 millimeter shells and 1108 rounds of 8 millimeter jesus group, fucking christ yeah that's a lot oddly specific as well 1108 <laughs> all right make sure you get the last eight rounds in there god damn it <laughs> we'll fit them somewhere some crews in the North African theater stored up to 100 shells by removing their seats and utilizing the available space. Oh, yes, because a, those additional ones will make a whole lot of a difference. <laughs> well, I mean, you go from 44 rounds to 100 rounds. That's um, that's pretty decent. With your, with your minus 12 depression and hold down, you could probably hold out for a long time. So it makes sense. The Royal uh, Air Force and, wants to know your exact location. <laughs> A model RF-1CA uh, was an interphone radio with, um, was typically installed. If you want to make one of these, um, all you got is Isolary. It is actually a pretty decent kit, though, I will say. Is it? it? I mean, apart from the vinyl tracks, which you might want to find 3D printed alternatives for, it's actually like, it's got a full interior in it, it's got photo etch. It's, it's not bad. Hmm. Could be worse. So, we'll go to the next one, the Semavonte 7534. Ooh. So, like the last one, it, fe it featured the same 75... Um, no, it's not the, not the same. It featured a 75mm L34 gun mounted on the M1542 tank chassis. This vehicle played a role in defending Rome in 1943 and subsequently served with the German forces in northern <coughs> Italy and the Balkans. A total of 170 units were manufactured during the war, with 60 being M42 variants produced before the armistice of... Casabil, whatever, in, 19, in September 1943. An additional 110 M42, M43 variants produced under German control. Following the success of the Semavonte 7518, there was a decision to create a vehicle 
with an improved gun to enhance its anti-tank capabilities, as the former relied on heat shells. Several prototypes were constructed, re replacing the uh, 75-18 with a 75mm L32 field gun on the M1441 tank chassis. Production commenced in spring of 43, using the chassis of the M1542 tank with the 75mm, which uh, was the same that was used in the P40, as we uh, were talking about before. Approximately 60 of these vehicles were manufactured before the Italians switched sides. Derived from the... <laughs> Derived from the earlier Semivante, it featured some differences. Unlike the two conjoined plates, each 21mm thick, found on the earlier version, the frontal plate consisted of a single 42mm thick plate. Additionally, the casemate was adapted to accommodate the longer gun. Powered by the same 192 horsepower petrol engine, it offered a respectable top speed of 38.4km an hour. If you want to build one of these, Tamiya have one of their Italeri, um partnerships. And that is the kit I bought at the uh, New Zealand um, IPMS Nationals. Oh, really? Got it for 50 bucks. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Can't wait to get into that one. Okay, we'll go into the next one. And this one... Uh, it's a tortoise. really cool. Is wow. The, the later Italian tank designs are freaking cool. Like, they wow, make, and they, they still they, can't they, get their heads over around just like having thicker tracks. Yeah. They really didn't like them. No. Oh. So this cool looking thing is the Semivante 7546. So following the armistice, uh, signed in 43, northern and central Italy came under German control. In 1944, due to the evolving war situation, they commissioned a new Italian armoured vehicle designed for tank combat based on the Semivante um, DA-105-25 self-propelled gun which we're talking about in a sec. However, uh, da, 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 the, this resulted in the Semivante 7546, which the, Derm, which the Germans designated as the Sturmgewicht uh, M43 MIT 7546852I. God, the, the Germans are just as bad as the Americans and British. In accordance I just with think the naming convention. naming people just need a new job. Yeah, they're, clearly they're bored. <laughs> so the 7546 retained the same M43 hull as the Semivante 105-25. However, it replaced the 105mm L25 howitzer with a longer 75-46 Modelo 34. Originally designed as an anti-aircraft gun, it also served as an anti-tank weapon, offering a high muzzle velocity, 70, 750 meters a second compared to the 510 and an extended effective range, capable of firing a 6.5 kilo shell up to uh, 13 kilometers away. This versatile gun could be loaded with high explosive or armor piercing. When equipped with the latter, it could penetrate up to 90 millimeters of armor uh, from a distance of 500 meters. Another significant difference from its predecessor was the overall in increase in armor protection. Slope plates were added to the casemate, and additional armor was applied to the sides above the tracks. These enhancements, along with its origins, classify the 75-46 as a full-fledged tank destroyer. And if you want to build one of these, uh, BRAC model uh, does it in 72nd. I wish they did it in 35th, though. It is, again, awesome-looking tank destroyer. Definitely interesting. Yeah. And don't worry, we only have three left. Then I'll shut up for a while. 
This is like uh, Waffentrager. Yes. I love the look of these kind of tank destroyers. The, this so one cool. is like fully embracing the whole self-propelled gun idea. Like it is not something that can fire on the move. It's a weapon to maneuver. You drive it to a spot, park it, get it out, and you just chill there for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is the Semavonte 1953. Um, so the 1953 was designed by mounting a 90mm uh, Canonad 1953 anti-aircraft gun in a large chassis based on the M1441 tank. Production of this vehicle was limited, with only 30 units manufactured, all in 1942. This low production rate was due to Italy's limited industrial capacity at the time and a high demand for the 90mm gun for anti-aircraft duties. The primary motivation behind developing the 1953 was the request from Italian forces on the Eastern Front for a vehicle-mounted anti-tank weapon capable of engaging Soviet T-34 and KV tanks. Italian armoured units in the Eastern Front were equipped solely with the L640 tank and the Semavonte 4732 self-powered gun neither of which had the firepower to effectively counter Soviet medium and heavy tanks. Surprisingly, despite the demand, no Semavonte 1953 vehicles were deployed to the Eastern Front. One significant drawback to the, of the Semavonte 1953, common to many World War II self-propelled gun types, was its open top and rear gun compartment, which exposed the, crew, the gun crew to shrapnel and small arms fire. Additionally, the vehicle had, provide, had minimal armor protection in most areas, Initially, it was not seen as a major issue because these vehicles were designed to operate at a distance from enemy tanks, minimizing the risk of incoming fire. Air the limited ammunition. Pardon? Airburst is typing. <laughs> <laughs> More like Willie Pete. <laughs> <laughs> the limited ammunition capacity of the vehicle, only eight rounds, posed another challenge. To address this, special ammunition carriers were created using the Fiat L640 tanks, with one accompanying each Semavonte 1953 in the field. These L6 ammo carriers could transport 26 rounds and an additional 40 rounds in a trailer. In addition to standard armor-piercing rounds, the 1953 could fire um, heat rounds with shape charges capable of penetrating 200mm of plate armor at any range. Uh, again, Brack models, in one, they have it in 1 to 35, is a full resin kit with decals, photo etch, and a metal barrel. Two left. Up next, we have the. <laughs> what? It looks like someone just whacked it with a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> You're so fucking right. Holy shit. So, this is the Semavonte 105 25. Bonk. <laughs> it looks like it's been run over. <laughs> uh, so the Ansaldo 105-25 M43, commonly referred to as the Semavonte 105-25, was, um, was a tank destroyer that uh, stood out as Italy's most potent self-propelled gun, produced in significant quantities. In 1942, efforts to develop a self-propelled gun with significant firepower were launched simultaneously by OTO and, and, and Soldo. OTO's proposal involved mounting a 105-25 gun on the chassis of a P2640 tank, while Ansoldo suggested utilizing the existing Semavonte M42 chassis. Ansoldo managed to present its prototype to the Central Studi del... Uh, whatever. The guys in charge. 
1943, ahead of OTO, which are still in the development stage. The Royal Italian Army approved a, the production of Insoldo's proposal in its final form, featuring an improved hull and a 105-25 gun. It was officially adopted on April 2nd, 1943, as the self-propelled M43-105-25 known as Basotto or Dutch Hound, because it's so squished. Dutch Hound. The first units to be equipped with the Basotto were the DCI and DCII groups of the 235th Semoventi Artillery Regiment of the 135th Armour Division. Each group received 12 units, and these vehicles played a commendable role in defending Rome in the days following the armistice. Uh, after Italy surrendered, the German forces, recognizing the effectiveness of the Semovonte 105-25 Basotto, captured and operated them, building an additional 91 units under the name Stug M43 MIT 105-25-853I. Which translates to Squishy Boy. Yes. For the use against the Anglo-American forces. Additionally, the 105-25 cannon was employed in bunkers as part of the defensive fortifications of the Vallo Alpino. And if you want one of these Brack models again in one seventy second, I if if this came in one thirty fifth, I'll take it. I'll yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's fucking it's so stupid looking. Uh, you just gotta build it. Yeah. Boz would love this kit though. Oh, yeah. oh, dude. Although, can you imagine doing that camo scheme in seventy second? Oh god, no. <laughs> you would have you would have to brush paint it. There's no way. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's yeah. And for the last one, finally, you guys are probably sick of uh, listening to me. I'm actually Perfect. glad you're going yeah. on because uh, what the, it's a long top. It, it's it's wear armor. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a this is a self-propelled gun. This is the Simavonte 149-40, and if we follow the um, naming, uh, no, this one doesn't do the. Uh, the self-propelled guns didn't follow the uh, standard tanks. You know, the tanks were, you know, medium, light, tons, and time. The uh, the tank destroyers, the front, the uh, first number, that's its caliber. <clears throat> so this is a 149-millimeter gun. Uh, the it's, Italian it's, Army... It's beautiful. It's a great-looking self-SPG, isn't it? Especially when it's deployed, when it's got the... Uh, um, when it's erected. Things? The what? When it's erected, <laughs> what are the what are the things that they deploy the the bucket or scoop or whatever the blade the, the, stop them the from legs. firing themselves backwards? The legs, yeah, whatever they are, looks cool. So the Italian army closely followed the Germans in recognizing the need for assault guns and developed a series of vehicles that bore a striking resemblance to the Stug Three, the ones we've just <laughs> covered. These Italian assault guns were manufactured in significant quality quantities because they offered better armor and quicker production compared to the contemporary Italian tanks. However, by the time a substantial number of them were deployed, Italy had effectively withdrawn from the war, leading to most of these guns falling into German hands. The majority of these Semavonte were equipped with 75 and 105 guns and howitzers, primarily designed for direct fire engagements. Nevertheless, the Italian artillery forces still required self-propelled artillery to support their armored units. In response, Ansoldo redirected some of its development resources to create a potent artillery piece that could be mounted on a track chassis. Ultimately, Ansoldo chose an existing weapon, the Canon 149-40 Modelo 35, and adapted it, and adapted it 
to a highly modified M1542 tank chassis. This equipment selection aimed to achieve the best possible combination of carriage and weapon. However, a significant challenge emerged. The Italian army was in urgent need of both gun and tank in large quantities, and Italian industry struggled to meet this demand. The introduction of this new weapon, the 149-40, encountered initial difficulties. The 149-40 featured no, protect, no protection for its crew, as the lengthy gun barrel was mounted on an exposed platform atop a turretless tank chassis. Fuck yeah. The gun crew operated in the open, with the gun's trunnions placed far in the rear to absorb some of the recoil. It was only in late 1942 that the first prototype was ready for extensive firing trials. However, even before these trials were completed, efforts to commence production were underway. Unfortunately, before production could commence, Italy surrendered to the Allies. The Germans assumed control of whatever remained of the Italian economy. Subsequently, the Semavonte 14940 prototype remained the sole example of what appeared to be a promising design. The Canon 149-40 Modelo 35 had the capability to fire a 46 kilogram shell at a, to a range of 23.7 miles. Jesus, that's uh, 23.7 kilometers. That's pretty good fucking distance. 25,900 yards, basically. At such distances, the absence of protection for the gun crew became a relatively minor concern. <laughs> no kidding. And that's it. That that's all that Italian the Italians fielded in the way of tracked during the war, uh, except for tankettes. But uh, as I said, that's going to be later. We're going to focus on tankettes because they're really cool little things. But that's it from me. My voice is fucked. We're going to have a quick intermission now. That was amazing, Callum. Thank you. It was. That was actually really interesting. I, I learned a lot. Okay. So first wow. up, it's. A motorcycle from Meng, and it is oh, a nine scale, which is like, dude, make it one twelfth or one sixth. But okay, whatever. So they, Meng have decided to split the difference and go to one nine. This is their BMW R twelve fifty GS ADV. This, to put it simply, is basically in a way the BMW version of Honda's Africa Twin. It's their adventure bike, so it's got street tires, but also has suspension set up more so for off-roading. Um, as you can see here in the box, so you can see kind of like going over hard-packed you know, off-road terrain. Um, it's really exciting. It looks like it's going to be good. Good to have metal discs for the brakes and all that stuff. Um, the CADs on it look pretty decent, so I think it'll make a nice addition to their uh, 1.9 scale range. That's good. Nice. Ooh, me likey, me wanty. So up next from Meng as well, they're releasing a whole bunch of stuff from the Dune uh, universe. We have the Harkonnen Ornithopter, the Atreides Ornithopter, and the Spice Harvester. I really want one of these. This, this is so cool that they're deviating into like different sort of sci-fi worlds. Honestly, the, the Harkonnen Ornithopter I think looks the best. That thing looks just awesome. But yeah, so don't know what scale these are going to be in or anything like that. So we'll just need to keep watching the space. I, I am interested to see how this comes out. Yeah, yeah. These will be cool though. Uh, from RFM, Rifle Model, they are bringing out an M4A3 76W <gasps> HVSS early type Thunderbolt 2. So this is the... Uh, this is the Sherman Thunder... No, this is not Thunderbolt 2. It's Thunderbolt uh, da, 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 7. Goddamn. Thunderbolt 7 is a Sherman that has been 
upgraded. These are all field upgrades, aren't they? Uh, maybe. I think it is. Yeah. It could. It could go either way, honestly. I think these are field upgrades done by the crew, but you know, it's got like extra plating on the front, on the sides, around the turret. Looks amazing. So this is in thirty-fifth scale. I wouldn't mind having one of these. I just love that pile mount thirty. That adds so much. Yeah, I, I I always thought Thunderbolt was one of the few Shermans that had two fifty cows on the top. Was that uh, was that Fireball? Might have been Fireball. No. Fireball was a Pershing. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, up next from Dora Wings in 48th, we have a Republic P47B Thunderbolt. So this is one of the Razor Thunderbolts. So they're probably just um, copying Mini Art at the moment with their. Um, their Thunderbolt, although that's the uh, D version with the bubble canopy. So there's a bit of a, yeah, when you ask people which they prefer, the bubble or the Razorback, uh, it's quite an even split on what, what people like. A lot of people prefer the uh, Razorback Thunderbolts to the uh, bubble, but... I'm a big fan of the Razorback for real. Are you? Uh, I'm, I'm more of a bubble canopy one. Oh, you, you like the bubble, eh? I, I like the bubble. I, li- I prefer the bubble. He, he likes a little bit of thickness to it. A little bit of hey, curve. I, <laughs> I like them when they're thick. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, that's from Dora Wings. Brand new Thunderbolt. Razorback. Sweet. How good, how good are Dora Wings? Oh, they're pretty good. I mean, they're short run, but they're pretty detailed. Nice. They've got some interesting things. Up next from our favorite Vargas scale models, we have a Nebelwerfer 41. So this is a this is a uh, rocket launcher type thing in 35th scale, 24 parts, uh, resin, 3D printed resin, and it looks pretty good. The test model built by uh, Brad Belsham here looks uh, amazing. Yeah, that does look really good. That's a good model there, but yep, uh, Vargas scale models keep uh, keeping things weird with all the. Uh, lesser known things and this is one of them it looks great stay weird i'd love to i'd this, i'd love to have one of these actually uh hell yeah that i mean that's just horizon island right there hidf Fuck ship yeah, mounted is. coastal artillery but like because it's on a ship it just keeps bobbing up and down <laughs> no this is a direct fire <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> okay what's next from Ooh. ibg models we have the Panzer Panzer Two Alps B uh, comes with a fuel trailer, and this is a cool uh, Panzer Two. Yeah, the... I was about to say this is actually. I know people hate like we hate German shit, but this is something this, I'd this probably is build. Interesting. Yeah, I mean it's got the the sort of Panzer One bogies with the the bar that goes across them. It's yeah, that is cool. It's it's a good looking tank. I actually quite like the Panzer Two. It's a nice looking like light tank. Classic. Yeah. So IBG, you know it's going to be good. Uh, so up next we have this is Mag- uh, Magic Factory, isn't it? Yeah, those are the guys who made the Iron Dome and the uh, Corsair. Yeah, that's right. So they're coming out with a forty-eight scale. Is it forty-eight? Forty-eight. Yes. Yeah. Forty-eight scale um, Skyhawk. Which a lot of people have been uh, crying well, out for for some to do. is rubbing his hands together. Are you sure it's his hands? Um, <laughs> 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 oh, but 
Um, so we're looking at a test model that's been built up, and it looks amazing. Uh, I think because I think it's a special um, type of the Skyhawk, isn't it? I Just looking at the, the nose, so. it's got like a, a like extra radar or something like that. Yeah, to the it, the, it? the uh the spine on the uh, fuselage, I believe, is different. Yeah, yeah, that looks different. And like look, seeing how the nose folds up, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, if you could yeah, position it like that. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if you, I wonder if, um, imagine if you could like move it so you could position it either or. I bet um, if you uh, put a tiny engine it. there, you could do it. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. You just got, hey, look at this. Yep, unzips his A four. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of people have been crying out for a forty-eight scale Skyhawk, and now they're going to get one. It looks yeah, amazing. Yeah, there was great rejoicing, mostly yep. from Floki. Yep. All right, so uh, Arma Hobby is releasing their new Sea Hurricane Mark II C at 172 Ooh. scale. This is following up. They've already done, I believe it was a Sea Hurricane Mark One, but this version is also their deluxe uh, variant. It comes with 3D printed parts, uh, photo etch uh, decals, and masks. Um, and I've already built their Hurricane Mark II C. It was very nice. So if this is anything similar, I know it's going to be it's going to be pretty choice. I really want that kit. Yeah, um, it looks good, doesn't it? Anything I, Fleet I Air Arm. I love Fleet Air Arm camo it's, as well. I can't wait for all the new Sea Fires that are coming out. Oh, I know, right? Especially because um, yeah, one of the guys that I follow on Instagram, Mr. Playmo, he did a Sea Fire. Oh, he just um, did one, yeah. And he, he was yeah. doing it against the deadline. Yeah, that looked amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually saw that in, in person. Fuck, it looked good. Oh, that's cool. It was so good, especially with the folded wings. Oh, I think he, he actually won an award for that. Well, he must have. How how could yeah. you not? I know. I think he, yeah, he got he got something from it. Uh, amusing hobby is reboxing their T seventy two AV kit. Uh, this time as a Ukrainian main battle tank, so this is going to feature new decals for Ukrainian operations and a lot of ERA. Oh yeah, <laughs> actually that that ERA block camouflage type thing that looks cool. That looks very nice. Yes, be a bitch it, that to paint, hard but... as fuck. Uh, Four Hobby is coming out with a one to seventy-two scale high Mars. Ooh, yeah, nice, nice. We we Going appreciate a high Mars loaded with metal parts. Looks good. And Tacom is releasing their M twenty-nine C Weasel. So this is basically a rebox of their previous Weasel kit, but with the addition of the larger flotation gear, so that this can operate in uh, amphibious conditions. I wonder if they've addressed some of the issues that the the, the first weasel they produced has. Unfortunately, I don't believe so. Because as uh, far as I understand, this is literally just that kit, and they add like two sprues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen Clayton Nockafee's um, video I on it? I have. Uh, yes. It's um, yeah. That's um. It looks nice. I could totally see an HIDF technical coming out of this, but uh, if you were building it to like. A high standard that would kill you. Like, yeah, yeah, that was not good. Tacom so stays losing. I know. I wish they weren't. I like Tacom for their stuff. And on that note, let's talk about what we've been working on. And up first, I finished the uh, newest edition for the Horizon Island Defense Force uh, Engineering Corps Flamethrower Unit. I've been working on this for way too long. <laughs> 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 like a year yes. and a half now, but so this is my M113 uh, flamethrower conversion. Uh, I will be doing electronics for it and making it spew out fire, but 
it's been a hot minute since I've wired anything up and I can't remember how to do things. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but beyond that, it's going to go on the shelf as is for now, just because it's I've got a, a lot of things on at the moment, so I can't really spend too much time on this one. So I'm calling this one done for now, but the uh, the tank on the trailer, I finally 3D printed, designed it myself, printed it, now I've, and I spent all of yesterday painting it, rusting it up, doing all of that. So yeah, pretty pretty happy on how this one uh, came out. Very, Very good. Nice. All right, real quick, I'm sorry. Uh, you're going to have to skip me for now. I'm taking pictures at the moment. It, trust me, you'll appreciate the update. Okay. Uh, we'll go to Dennis's then. Uh, yeah, I've just been working on my Tamiya 1248 scale Spitfire Mark 1. Uh, painted the figure in a week and then did the entire cockpit in a night. But uh, yeah, so the wings are on now. Uh, assembly is basically done and it will soon be time to start painting. What scale is this one again? 1248. Oh, yeah. Is this an Edad kit? No, this is Tamiya. This is their uh, 2018 new oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes with the um the the little um truck thingy, doesn't it? Or yeah, and it's car. got uh I was surprised. It's got raised uh detail stickers and uh photo etch. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. out of the box stock and it was like 30 bucks for me. Is that it? Jesus. Yeah. The, the whole this is actually all out of the box. Like apart from like the wires I added um for yeah. the figure zero phones, like it's all stock. Damn, I'm gonna have to get that. Yeah, it's That's pretty good. I mean, obviously the Adar kit probably has better detail, but like between all the photo etch on this thing and the raised stickers, like this has reasonably comparable detail and it's way easier to build. Like Although I literally still... built this yeah. like the total assembly time, you know, ignoring the painting of, of the cockpit, is probably about thirty ish minutes. Jesus, that's not bad. Fuck. No, not at all. Of course, you did spend some time putting in your own rivets. Uh, yeah, I, I riveted the whole plane. Um, <laughs> and I still have more to do because I left some areas. So, yeah, don't rivet your planes, boys. Just just buy other kits. Why the thing is, none of these will be visible because you're damn near invisible one-to-one scale to begin with. Yeah, that's that's the thing. If You end up making rivets oversized just so you can see them, and then it's just, eh. Yeah, yeah not doing rip- that again. Rivets on an aircraft are like, unless it's like you're going up to say like even 32 scale, then it's like, eh. even then, because on the Spitfire, when I see the rivets are invisible, you go to a real one. I mean, Calum, you've seen them. They literally yeah, are flush. flush. Yeah, they're, like, they're and flush. And under paint, you cannot see them. So no. even this is actually like fairly out of scale, but eh, sacrifices for the detail, you know? Well, by the sounds of it, you enjoyed it. So Oh, I, I did, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I want. I've got a rivet tool that I've never used because I bought one to build aircraft, and I haven't built an aircraft even since I came back. <laughs> yeah, I'm using the same one you've got too. Oh, the um, uh, trumpeted one. Yep. Is it good? Is it a good one? It's. I mean, it's pretty decent. A little thick to use, like. I would have preferred having one that's got a smaller wheel that you can see where you're punching the rivets more easily, but yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. it's, it's reasonable for the price. Yeah, I think I only picked it up, got mine for like 15 bucks. Although, no, that was 15 pounds. I'm lost. Anyway, 
But no, that, that's looking cool. Do you know the scheme you're going to go for? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, M3200, which was a Spitfire that crash-landed uh, on Dunkirk Beach. Um, Is that the one that uh, ran out of fuel? Yes, and then after a year, it was completely buried under the sand. And then in 1982, they dug it back up somehow, and they restored it to full flying condition. Jesus. You, 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 you see that, and you're like, how the hell do they get that? How? how? The, 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 the corrosion alone. What should have eaten the whole eaten the whole plane? Mm. I think, yeah, I think what those they, things to last. I think what they do for restoration, it's like they basically try and use as many of the original components as possible. And that's what shocked me because, I, as yeah. far as I understand it, most of the components on N thirty two hundred are original. Really? They, they just built things to last back then, I guess. Jesus. Yeah. You know that. Um, we're just riffing until uh, Garrison gets his photos up. Yeah. Um, so I've been I've been watching um, Rex's hangar, and he's uh-huh. you know, he's got sponsors. Oh, he loved stuff. that! I love that channel. Shout out to oh, Rex. Yeah, Dad and I watch it. Watch every single new episode, like every week, like on Wednesday. My dad comes around for, um, and we just have like guys' night. You know, beers, bad food, and war documentaries and shit like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, every week it's you know first thing we watch is Rex's hangar. There's new episodes, so but um, one of his sponsors is a watch. Uh, is a watch? Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, yeah. To, it goes towards a Spitfire that's been um, restored, and they actually have like a piece of the original aluminium in the um, in the watch itself. That's so cool. That you that you can see, so it's literally part of the Spitfire is in, in the watch. And I, was, yeah. I was looking, I was like, after he did that one, I looked at my dad's like. I need a new watch. Yeah. <laughs> That's like two things I love. I love watches and I love Spitfires. What more do you need? Absolutely. I, I, I could deal with a Spitfire watch. I could do that. Mm. I, li- I like it when they, I like it when they do that, when it's like a charity sort of thing. Yeah. Like they're trying to restore something like, yeah. Even if it's like your name on it, your name on something like there was, um, uh, was, I want to say 2020. There was an yeah, 2020. There was uh, you could fundraise um, one of the Vulcans. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yep. And you and you, they would put your name if you did if you um did it. You they put your name on the wing or something like that. I was tempted, but I never got around to doing it. Yeah. You done yet, Garrison? Yes, I'm just politely waiting for you two gentlemen. If you'll uh. Kindly refresh, 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 refresh. The slides. <laughs> refresh yourself the slides, boys. Refresh. <laughs> All right. Ow. So, um, sorry for that delay, but I I couldn't help myself. Had to get this this up here. Uh, I've been working on my Horizon Island Defense Force uh, bridge defense diorama, and so far uh, today I accomplished something huge. Uh, balsa wood on the side of a huge diorama like this. I grabbed some foam nails and just fucking basically it looks like I shot it with a shotgun. Uh, just threw them bitches everywhere so the the wood wouldn't warp because the last time I tried this on this exact diorama it didn't go well. <laughs> um, but so I got that that going. Um, the bridge is glued down. The 
the palm trees are made with the exception of the thatch on top where the leaves are at and then the bases which will be made once the palm trees are glued in after the grass is applied uh, and then here you can see I have thrown in a bunch of brightly colored foliage now I'll go through and I'll paint all these uh, different greens and some other colors uh, I just haven't yet but super exciting because for me this is finally taking some shape I've I started this what like before I started that Normandy diorama I think. Uh, yeah you did yep so it's it feels really good to uh, to finally have the diorama itself coming into shape, like the, the three palm trees, the 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 chech hedgehogs on top of the bridge, the the chunks of concrete that are going to be in the in the river there there at the bottom. Uh, there's a tiny little snake. I don't know if you can see it uh, coming up the riverbank. Yeah, you can't really see it, but uh, super exciting. The three fighting holes is just I'm I'm super pumped about this. So. That's looking great. I can't wait to see it painted. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, right now, since the balsa wood, I think, is completely dried already. I'm going to you know, obviously wait overnight, but if it is completely set and good, all i got to do is take out those nails, uh, cover up all the holes, some of the gaps, and then sand it a little bit in some spots, and then I can add the ground texture, which will go over the balsa wood, and then I can add the concrete, and that's like that right there is like crossing the bridge towards finishing up the diorama because it's at that point it's adding the grass, painting the grass, adding the the plants that are painted that will be painted, putting the palm trees in, using milliput to add the the bases of them, and then I mean then the figures and vehicles, and that's it. It's looking good. Can't wait to see it, man. Can't yeah. wait. Thank you. And then the next one, uh, I've been working on a lot of HIDF figures, uh, but there's one that I've got mostly finished. That's the guy there on the right so that's uh, kind of laughing. So just to give you an idea uh, of what the figures are going to look like, the camo scheme, the HIDF flag patch. The chicken uh, dance. Yeah, the chicken dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, so these this is uh these this camouflage is really fun to paint. It's kind of relaxing to do. I've got three figures left to paint the maroon. Uh, it's the two in the jeep, and then one guy who's going to be sitting in uh, one of the fighting holes. And then after that, I can paint their equipment, their boots, the HIDF flag, skin tones, and then give them a wash, weather all of them, seal them up, and then they'll they'll be done. So, and then uh, started chipping the uh, 114 i wanted to make it look like super used so i went with some some pretty deep and aggressive chipping and scratches it's not really chipping it's it's more so scratches like it's been driving through very thick foliage and uh well you know used and abused now they look cool like, I, I like i love your uh, the camos on um uniforms i need to figure i need to find out how you do those because i i struggle <laughs> Welp. uh one of these days, when we do a hangout, uh, I can... I mean, the, all those Ukrainian figures, I gotta paint up. I mean, that's fucking, God, 40 figures, give or take. So, I'm Yeesh. sure somewhere in there, I'll be doing M81. 
and uh, I can I can show you how I do my camo. Sounds good. Is that guy's rifle barrel bent? Yeah. So uh, it's whenever I this was an old M14, like when I first got into the hobby. So uh, I was using the exacto blade and I cut it kind of aggressively and I cut off like half the barrel. Don't know how I didn't cut the whole thing off. So it's kind of like bent, but it kind of plays through the whole HIDF thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, uh, the, the German um, curved barrels. Yes. Yes. We'll go with that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, I'm hoping to have this thing done by November 3rd because I'm heading out to Missouri for that show where I'm meeting Floki and Gray. So that's like that's my big focus right now is getting this thing finished and getting it done right. If I don't finish it the proper way by the time it, that show comes, I'm not going to take it, but I think I can get it done. Like I'm taking a day off of work this week just to work on it. So Nice. Yeah, I'm super, super pumped about this one, guys, because that last diorama y'all know didn't work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> fucking cat <laughs> alright so what have we got left on the side uh, HIDF group build never ends it, it, forever nope. it's, it's no. always we're, going we're, we've, we've changed it there is no end date you just just build it just if you want to join in we'll be uh, posting in future episodes updates that other people have been doing for uh, the HIDF so whether they're uh, completed one or anything like that i know that we have some super cool things to show off i know um paul gallagher's fucking um oh yes uh gunship that thing was incredible that's so cool that one eh? spectacular you saw that one dennis did you oh yeah i love that oh, yeah. yeah it was so cool with the fact that he's got lights and sounds in it jesus we need him we need to get him on here we do. He's been our longest Patreon supporter. We and we've had Floki on already, so yeah. we got to get Paul on. Yeah. So yeah, HIDF will just be giving regular updates, and of course, speaking of group builds, we've just finished one, so we must have another. Garrison. Yes. Yes. All right. Despite my hatred for sand, we are doing the North African campaign group build starting November first, two thousand twenty-three. Ending March 1st, god damn it, 2024. Uh, that's a typo. Um, join our Discord for all the information regarding our new group build. Please read the rules. Uh, there's seven or eight rules in there, but they explain everything you need to know about this group build. If you have any questions, go ahead and ask. Uh, but yeah, looking forward. To, we've already got some entries for the recreational. Uh, so some pretty neat stuff like i said i personally hate the desert but it's kind of cool seeing what people can do with it looking forward to seeing uh some neat builds and we have a very special prize for this one uh we have one winner and it's your choice of any model kit or kits up to 60 us dollars not including shipping so if you if you won and you wanted to buy like a 55 dollar tacom kit uh, you could do that, and then we would also cover shipping to wherever you're at. So, pretty cool prize. Uh, that way, you get to actually choose what you get uh, up to a limit. So, so yeah, very cool. It's going to be. There's already been a lot of cool discussions on what people are going to build, and <coughs> a lot of lot of excitement going around on this one. So, I mean, yeah, I think this is the one people have been the most excited about. Yeah, the, the, this is the one that was 
got the most sort of um, talk on at the moment. And yeah, so this is going to be good. So we want as many people in on this one as possible. See if we can end the year group build, like end of the year, just try and get as many people as we can because this is going to be a cool one. You've got a lot of time to work on it. So you can enter more than once if you build five of them. Fucking great. Enter them all if you want. That's fine with us. Super, super stoked. And of course, to close out the episode, Dennis. Well, huge thanks to our Patreon supporters, Paul Gallagher and Lord Floki. Thank you both so much for supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on here. If you guys watching or listening to this podcast want to support our us, keep the lights on, keep us producing content, you can go to our Patreon, which is in the link of our YouTube videos, and uh, subscribe, chip in a few bucks a month, and uh, get access to some really funny uh, content. Yep, that's where we post. I'm, I'm a bit behind on it. I need to catch up on it. Sorry, Paul. Um, there is some stuff that I need to check on there, but basically it's whatever outtakes that we can't say on YouTube or we don't want to or anything like that. Just a little bit of extra content. It's usually the stuff that the worst things Garrison says. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Funnily enough. Uh, but yeah, it's all the stuff we deem inappropriate for YouTube. And um, considering we say some pretty suspect things on an episode um yeah the things in the uh outtakes are uh possibly worse so but there's only one way to you you can find out so subscribe to our patreon and help us out and with that all said dennis well you have been watching and listening to the micro machines podcast thank you so much for sticking with us as we learned about italian tanks and we will return to you next time until then bye everyone see you later see ya Bow, 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 bow.